0: I remember when I was a kid, I asked my parents. I was curious why Christians didn't follow any specific dietary restrictions. And I was I was pointed to Peter's vision at the beginning of this passage, um, but I think that if we are to see his vision as being about food, um, we're going to miss work that the Spirit was uh, doing. Let's pray. Jesus, here. Your call is unexpected and it's often very uncomfortable. Now, but you're the one who has the words of life. I pray that you would give us the ears to hear with faith and the hearts to open for your life. In Jesus' name. Church, I want to declare that the Spirit of God cleanses us and He invites us into His family alongside those we would prefer to reject as unclean. Now, the passage opens by introducing Cornelius, and for the purposes of this text, he's foremost a Gentile. He's a religious outsider to the Jews, and he's also a culturally outsider of what is acceptable for them to interact with. In addition to just being a Gentile, he's also a centurion. Um, he's um, He is the representation of Roman occupation of the entire area, uh, including all of the Jews who make up the church at this point. He's somebody who possesses significant earthly power, and has authority over people. He owns slaves, them to do his bid. I think that he's not somebody who looks particularly um, good from our perspective today. Um, I think he looks even worse from the perspective of the jews who are under his oppression at the time Uh, but the the picture painted of him at the beginning of the scene is actually fairly positive he's kind of a contradiction in himself so in the midst of his role in the midst of um, who he is in relation to the jews he's also continuously giving to them charitably Uh, he's praying to their god And God responds by seeking him out and sending him to Peter. So after he sends his people to Peter, kind of skips over to see what he's doing. And Peter's kind of being the a devout, devoted guy trying to do his best as a good church boy. And he's going up up to the roof to pray at lunchtime and he feels hungry. Right? I I feel like that's a a very common feeling I've had when it's like I'm gonna be. I'm going to vote, I'm going to follow after God hard. I'm going to read every single morning. I'm going to go sit down, and it's like, well, maybe I should make some eggs first. <laughs> um, so he's in this, in this situation where he's distracted. Um, but hunger can also heighten our awareness that we are a creature and that we need to have our needs fulfilled outside of ourselves, that we are not able to do that. On It's kind of one of the purposes of fasting. So in the middle of this state, he's up there, he's feeling hungry, he's trying to do the right thing, and God sends this vision to him of the sheep coming down, all kinds of animals, some that he might like to eat, some that he would absolutely not like to eat. God tells him, Peter, kill this and eat it. But I have called holy. We no longer call up hungry. And I think that I think the offense of this call is like the lost in our culture. I we think we're very willing to go eat whatever we want. Right? We'll eat when bored. We'll eat when trying to avoid doing things that we ought to. We'll eat when hungry. We'll eat just because it tastes good. But for Peter, this is not his situation. Right? This call is offensive. It goes directly against the law of God that was given to Moses. He's being called to disobey what he knows to be right. Um, I mean, if somebody to come and tell us and be like, hey, I'm hoping to eat crab legs at lunch today, we'd probably not care too much about it and be like, huh, oh, sounds fun for you. Um, I hope you got a fancy job to go with your fancy lunches. <laughs> but if they were like, no, oh, no, no, it's cool, man, it's cool. God told me, God actually told me that I should go steal the crab legs so I don't have to waste the money. And he said, go steal the crab legs, and then I could just have them, and it would be awesome. I think we'd be like, I don't actually think God told you that, right? Like, God actually says no stealing. He says stealing is you. You're not supposed to be doing that. We'd be kind of shocked. But I think that Moses is, I'm sorry, I think that Peter's um, shock at this call goes beyond just something being against the law. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a Islamic friend, and we were talking about eating pigs, um, and I was like, like genuinely like you never ever ate bacon, like not at all." I didn't, didn't and he didn't even try. He's like, "Dude, there was one time, there was one time I ate bacon, and it was like a casual situation. It was in there, like, I didn't know, and I I took a bite and I spit it out immediately because it tasted just like it smells, disgusting." Just like the people who eat it, wow, right? Like Peter's, Peter's, Peter's <laughs> feeling a lot of things here, right? It's not just like, hey, you can eat whatever you want now; it's going to be cool. And he's he's sitting there and he's perplexed. what's happening? He has a call that is directly against what he knows to be true, right? Um, is I mean, is he like? Is the devil just like up here tempting him? Is this like Jesus in the wilderness? Like, what is happening? This is not just saying, you guys may eat whatever food you'd like at this point. Um, But what Peter can't see yet at this point, because he's so shocked, is that food is not just food. Food is culture, right? Food is um, community. Food is a people. So God is reaching out the sheep to the four corners of the ends of the earth, and he's saying, the cleansing work that I've done through Christ Extended to everyone. You have the option of rejecting the Gentiles as outsiders and holy people. But he can't see it yet because he's still thinking of who who. He needs a bigger miracle to recognize what God is planning to do in his church. Um, so if we look a little closer at verse 28, he's invited those people into his house that Cornelius sent and he's followed them back to their house. And as he walks in, he says to them, you yourselves know that it is forbidden for a Jew to associate with or visit a foreigner. Right, this hasn't gone well for the Jews in the past, right? They've been exiled, they've been enslaved for following after their neighbor's practices, worshiping their Baal and their Asherah, right? And Peter remembers that for sure. Like they're in the middle of a obligation right now by Cornelius. And yet, at this point, he starts to recognize that food may not just be food. And he says, Yet, God has shown me that I am not to call any person unholy or unclean. The Spirit of God does cleanse us. And he invites us to join his family with those who we wish we be reject as unclean. And it's so unbelievable that the Spirit actually has to fall on all of these people that are disgusting in the same way that he did at the Apostles at Pentecost, just to convince them that this is true. I mean, after, in chapter 11, Peter goes home and everyone's like, what are you doing? I heard that you were hanging out with the Gentiles. That's not acceptable. You may not be doing that. And he says, God confirmed it. God can do what he wants, and he showed me that he's no longer going to call these people. I remember when Jesse was preaching a few weeks ago, he was going through the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I was curious um, why that story came before this, because it's a fairly specific situation as opposed to this one, which is primarily about somebody who's a Gentile. Um, but if you look at Isaiah um, 56, I realized that Luke is actually just following the story that God revealed to Isaiah centuries earlier. Uh, in verse 4, he says, This is what the Lord said, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant. To them I will give in my house, within my wall of memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters, and give them an everlasting name which will not be eliminated. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to attend to his service and love the name of the Lord and be his servants, everyone who keeps his Sabbath does not profane it. Holds firmly to my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. So Luke is recounting this to his readers to say this is not something unexpected. God knew that he was going to do this, and he's doing it now at this time. I think as a church, There are a couple failures that we tend to have um, when we see this call. Uh, The first is to just try to leave ourselves as the judge to reject those that God has called and call them unclean instead. Uh, But Peter clearly said, he's the one who fears him and does what is right. It's acceptable. And I think it's easy for us to latch onto this verse and be like, well... I don't know if he's doing all the things that are right. Uh, but it's worth pointing out that in this passage, Cornelius didn't have it figured out, right? The first thing he did when he saw Peter is to worship him. He didn't know exactly what he was doing. He didn't have it all set in line, but his heart was to pursue after God. And in that, he was welcome. I think that growing up in the church, that's, that tends to be my tendency. I tend to, to see myself as Peter in the passage a the person who's been with Jesus the whole time and yet that gives me some sort of right to make the distinction about who can and cannot be accepted um, but clearly that is not the case anymore longer. i think the second failure that we tend to have is to be a people who are welcoming to all say so you can all come in here you can all join with us and then we still treat food just being a people who can all sit in the same room and say hi. Um, I think that when Cornelius called upon Peter, um, he asked to learn from him. He asked, what is the word that God showed you to tell us? Um, But in the end, I think Peter was the one who ended up learning the most from Cornelius. They were mutually pursuing after God. They were able to grow together All to welcome people we dislike into the kingdom of God just because God is the one who gets to choose is is naturally very uncomfortable. Um, we have we're we forcing ourselves to walk with people that are different than us that we prefer um, to be away from. Um, one of possibly most likely the most challenging relationship I have currently uh, is with Zai's ex-boyfriend. Um, he was living with her, since I was a little baby, came care, um, and the relationship was not healthy at the time. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of feelings associated with that. Um, but around the time his mom passed, he got invited into a church, and he's been pursuing after Christ as hard as anyone I've seen. Um, I remember last fall, we were at the park, with meeting me and Abin, um, and I, I was asking how he was doing it, and he's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do it for real. Like, I'm getting, I'm tired, and I don't know if it's worth it. Um, and I, I was like, man, that, I, I feel you. Like, you can feel like that at times, but uh, I reminded him of Peter's words after Jesus was being fairly purposely offensive by telling everyone they have to eat his body. If to be around and Jesus like, are you guys all trying to leave too? Um, and Peter said, I don't know where else we could go. Uh, so you have the worst life. Uh, this year, a couple months ago, we met up again, and he was asking me how I was doing. Right? So I'm, I'm feeling kind of jaded. Um, I don't see God acting to... Fix the brokenness that uh, He claims to care about the world, and He encouraged me to pray the words of God back to Him. Uh, that He is the one who defends the widow and the orphan. Uh, to not give up, on challenging God and seeing where He's working in those things. Uh, and that's been that's been one of the most encouraging words I've received this whole year, probably. Um, we're still, I mean, that relationship is is still hard. I'm just a bunch to navigate. I'm going to try to figure that out, but um, I, I'm not in a position to judge on something. Does God call this? And do we stand there together? Uh, can you go to the reflection side of the whole concept of your situation? So, in a little bit here, Andy's going to come up and play a song. And I'm hoping to reflect corporately together and we'll have a prayer act together for we song. Um, who is it that I prefer to judge as a king? And What's one thing that I can do this week to encourage people to the kingdom alongside of it? So maybe you are like Peter and you're racist and you don't want to associate with people who are different from your culture. Um, I think it's maybe more likely that you struggle with somebody like your dad or your wife who you know well enough to see their failures to live up to the ideals they claim. Uh, maybe it's somebody you have different political opinions Like it's a very popular line even within the church. Maybe it's somebody who has different theology. I feel like some of the easiest people to judge are people who have the opinions that we used to have back before we figured it all out. Right? Um, so, if, if the person that we dislike and we don't want to be dealing with, that we prefer to judge, is somebody within the church, um, I would encourage you to find something that you can pursue with them together, not something that is trying to fix their problems or the thing with them that you think is the problem, um, but to pursue God mutually as equals. Just as Peter and Cornelius both were able to learn from one another, uh, if the person that you judge and dislike is not aiming to pursue God, I think the question is, how can I faithfully serve God? And uh, then in First Peter two, you that one? Peter says, beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So in the thing that they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, in the work of God on the day of visitation. I feel like for the majority of my life I think of evangelism as needing to have like a, a watertight theological defense for Jesus. And if I just say the right things and convince them, then they will